Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520. Months ago, an executive with headquarters in Buffalo with National Fire Adjustment, Ronald Papa, who was on this program a few years ago, he recommended that I put on the program an author of a book that will be coming out by the end of the year. The book is called The American Fix. Our guest today from Rochester, New York, who drove in with Brian Jackson today for the program, his name is Richard A. Kaplan, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about him. Richard Kaplan has an extensive background in economics, accounting, management, and executive leadership that have benefited many corporations, startups, universities, and other organizations. He specializes in startups and business turnarounds. He is currently CEO of Curagis, that's C-U-R-A-E-G-I-S Technologies, a developer and manufacturer of unique fatigue management technologies and commercial hydraulics. He is past president of and CEO of Pictometry International Corporation. He is also former president of Richland Industries and Max Pies Floor Coverings, a retail floor covering chain. Our guest today, Richard A. Kaplan. Again, the book is coming out. I imagine it will be available on Amazon at the end of the year. Now, you talk about, in the book, The American Fix, and I've seen it, and I know Newt Gingrich wanted to uh, read this because I talked to him at the Republican National Convention in Cleveland, and you talk about government becoming more dysfunctional. What's wrong with our government? Why is it detached from the mainstream American public? Well, nothing's really wrong with government. Uh, the problem, government is government, and uh, government is, uh, has been, was made to be competitive and adversarial. Uh, the problem is we've asked government over the last 80 years or so to do a lot of things that it's just not capable of doing. Uh, government is very capable of, of regulating and it's very capable of auditing, uh, but it's not capable of managing and it's not capable of administrating or implementing. And in the book, we give 11 reasons really why it's not. And they're not conservative or liberal reasons. They're just common sense reasons. Uh, I'll give you one. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, government was made to be adversarial. Uh, when uh, John Adams was running against Thomas Jefferson, he actually hired a slander to, to slander Thomas Jefferson. So it, the, what's going on now is nothing new. Uh, but what has happened is we've given government more and more responsibility. So its, uh, it, its flaws are showing more and more. Uh, so the question is, if you have uh, programs as important as health care, welfare, social security, um, do you really, or, and education, of course, do you really want an organization running it where at any one time half the organization wants it to fail? Uh, when the Democrats are in, the Republicans want it to fail. Uh, when Obama came in, the first thing they said is one-term president is all we want. When um, uh, a Republican is in, the Democrats, uh, President Bush is a great example, made a lot of mistakes. Instead of trying to help him, uh, they crucified him. Mm-hmm. And, but this is typical. This is, it's a power game. It's more of about, about power uh, 
than it is about actually doing something. So it would be, would you want to invest in a company where half the management wants you to go broke? Or would you want to go into surgery where half the surgical team wants you to die? We're asking an entity to do something that it inherently can't do. It's not the people's fault, in government's fault. It is the way government is made. So that, that's one of the premises of the book. And we give actually 10 other reasons like that, and they're pretty much common sense reasons. They're not really a, an, a, a conservative or liberal view. And we don't blame the people. We don't blame Democrats. We don't blame Republicans or conservatives or liberals. Well, this is a systemic problem, not a people problem. Now, Ron Papa, president of National Fire Adjustment Company, headquartered in Amherst, New York, with offices throughout the U.S. and Canada, he said in the beginning of your book you have a wagon story. Right. Now, uh, tell us about the wagon story, and then if people are interested in December when the book comes out, right. they can read about it in depth. What is the right. wagon story well, Mr. It, Papa talked it's about? It's a metaphor that uh, I, I use uh, to explain why things are happening. You know, it's so frustrating for people to see all of our social programs are failing in one way or the other. And it's frustrating for people to watch it. And so the wagon story is a little metaphor that kind of explains it. And it goes like this. To start this country, it was like the start of a, a journey. And to take the journey, we built this big, beautiful wagon. And the purpose of the wagon was to carry all the supplies we'd need. But it was also we made room for all the people that couldn't take the trip otherwise, the very old, the very young, mm -hmm. uh, people that were infirmed for one reason or other couldn't take the trip. So we loaded up the wagon with our supplies, uh, loaded up with all the people, and we got behind the wagon and started to push it. Uh, we soon realized that pushing a wagon that nobody was steering was kind of unproductive. So we elected some people from our midst to go to the front, grab the, uh, uh, the, the pieces of wood connected to the front wheels, and scout ahead and steer the wagon for us. Uh, and it became a very, very good journey. And a very interesting thing happened. The people in the back of the wagon that were on the wagon and the people that were pushing the wagon were right next to each other. And these people that were in the wagon saw these people working so hard to push the wagon and help them that they wanted to get involved. They'd metaphorically bring drinks and food to them. If they could, they'd get off the wagon for a little while to walk, lighten the load a little bit. And a very wonderful relationship started between these people, a very human relationship, giving and, and, and helping each other. Mm -hmm. The people in the front that were just steering and were seeing this, and they wanted in on part of this. They, they, they saw what was happening. They wanted it. So they said, well, we can do more. Instead of we just work when we're going to turn the wagon three or four times a day, we can do more so we can help pull it. So they grabbed those pieces of wood that were attached to the wheels and started pulling the wagon. Well, all of a sudden, the people that were in the back started lauding these people. This is great. You guys didn't have to do this. You're doing all this. Well, the more adulation they got, the more they pulled. The more they pulled, the stronger they got. The stronger they got, the more they could pull. Until the people that were pushing the wagon started to realize that if they stopped pushing, the wagon kept going because the people in front were pulling so hard. So little by little, they stopped, uh, they stopped pushing, which is human nature. Well, what happened is the relationship between the people in the wagon and that were pushing the wagon broke down completely because now the people weren't helping each other. They weren't relating to each other. Everything was done by these people aloof, these aloof people in the front that couldn't even talk to these people because they were so far away. But they were doing all the work, and they were the ones that were being lauded for doing everything, pulling the wagon, steering the wagon, guiding everything. Well, after a while, somebody that was walking behind the wagon that used to be pushing it saw a little space in the wagon, so they jumped on, did a ride for a little while. Well, then they started arguing about whose turn it was. So after a while, they started pushing back the supplies and pushing back the people uh, that had to be on the wagon to make more room for these people that were piling on. The more people piled on, the heavier the wagon got, the harder it was to pull. So it slowed down, slowed down, slowed down. And the people in the front finally couldn't push anymore. They looked back 
and saw a wagon full of people that used to love and care for each other now arguing over space on a wagon that wasn't even moving anymore. And that's what's going to happen to this country, in my opinion. We've stopped helping each other, and we've had asked the government to do everything for us, which it can't do, as I pointed out before, uh, and it's polarizing us. And uh, that's the wagon story, and it's a, a little metaphor that I think explains what's happening. Well, it's a good story, and your talk reminds me of Mrs. Clinton, who said the world is a village, sort of hinting that it is the responsibility of government to take care of everyone. And um, many people have said that our welfare programs have become sugar-coated poison right. because we have developed a dependent population that doesn't want to take care of themselves, which was always the pride of Americans exactly. to be independent and self-sufficient. Exactly. Our guest today is Richard A. Kaplan, recommended by the president of National Fire Adjustment, Ron Papa, to be with us on this program. He has a book coming out in December called The American Fix. We thank him for driving in from Rochester with Brian Jackson to be on the Rusk Report on ESPN Radio. If you have any thoughts or comments, if you're listening in Rochester, Buffalo, Toronto, or Washington, D.C. with our 50,000 watts of clear channel power, please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. We always read cards and letters from our Canadian and European listeners also. I'd like to mention our future guests include... Circumnavigator of the world who went for years on a 55-foot sailboat all across the globe. Eric Reichardt, B. Kaiser, author of 20 books. Senator Pat Gallivan, all coming up on the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520. Thank you to those who listened and commented about Carmel Baranoff, who's nationally on uh, PBS with her health and cooking program, Maria Krauss with Muscular Dystrophy Association, and Rabbi Barish of Jupiter, Florida. A little bit more information about Richard A. Kaplan. He was chairman and co-founder of Resnick Media Associates, an advertising and marketing company uh, agency, and Blanton Communications, Inc., a computer software company. He was president of RAK Realty Corporation, a real estate development company. He's former chairman of the board and founder of WorkSmart International, Inc., a human resource development, publishing, and training company for multi-market, multinational corporations and organizations, Richard A. Kaplan. We talked a little bit about the welfare programs, and I think they were originally supposed to be a temporary fix when Lyndon Johnson developed the Great Society programs, but they've become a lifestyle for three, four generations Talk about the failures. What's wrong with our welfare program? Well, it's not just the welfare. I mean, it's, our, all our systems are failing. Education is failing. We're not even in the top 40 in the world anymore. Our health care system, obviously, everybody knows is falling apart or has fallen apart, and uh, there's no fix that anybody has. Uh, President Trump told us while he was running he had this great fix, and then he just used Ryan's fix. Uh, so uh, apparently there's nothing out there. But let me just, before you can solve a problem, you have to understand the cause of the problem. Let me talk a little bit about that. Sure. We operate on three systems in a society, and this is an oversimplification, but it, it, it is very true. Uh, we have a uh, political system, a legal system, and an economic system. I believe our legal system, political system, is the best, are the best systems ever devised by man to govern himself. 
Um, they, but they do have some, uh, some flaws to it or, or, or some negative dynamics. For instance, the legal system, if you talk to a police officer sometime and ask them, what would happen if you took away all the rules uh, of evidence, all the search and seizure rules, Mirandizing and everything, they would tell you, if they're honest, that in 90 days you'd have a police state. It doesn't mean you don't have a police department. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It's just mm -hmm. the way of the organization, what would happen. What it means is you set up boundaries around it, and what we, we've done a very good job with that. Our economic system is capitalism, which, again, is the best system ever devised by man to deliver goods and services in an efficient, effective way, to uh, create jobs, create wealth. But like the police department, it's got some negative dynamics, two in particular. Number one, it creates dislocations. Uh, I'm from Rochester, which is a great example of, of, of that. Kodak mm -hmm. went from film to digital, and 80,000 people lost their job around the, around the world. That many, 80,000. Yes. Uh, but that happens all the time in capitalism. In, in, uh, Japanese came in in the 80s and 90s, and all of a sudden uh, millions of people lost their job in the auto industry. Capitalism does that. Um, it's a strong enough system that eventually those people will be rehired, but usually at a lower price. But in the meantime, there's a lot of pain. So that's one negative dynamic. The second one, which is more serious, is that capitalism polarizes wealth. Now, I started saying this in the 80s, and everybody said, oh, no, the tide raises all boats. And you can see now uh, the tremendous polarization. It's like a monopoly game. If you play it long enough, one person gets all the money. It's the same thing. So you don't want to throw capitalism out. So you have to find ways to remediate those negative aspects of it without hurting the, the basic premise of capitalism. Uh, so. You, you can't do it in, in the legal system. You can't make it illegal to be poor. You can't do it in the political system because, as, again, it's so polarized and everything. You can see what happens when we try and solve these problems in the political system. And the economic system causes the problem. So the government can't do it, and the private sector can't do it. So what do we have? There is no place to solve these problems. Every decision we make with the tools we have now are the wrong decisions. And let me give you two examples of that. Uh, the minimum wage, raising the minimum wage to $15. The reason we should do it is because there are people that are in terrible pain, that can't take care of their families, can't take care of uh, themselves, can't get health care, and can't afford to live a decent life. That's the reason we should do it. But the problem is if you do it, number one, you're going to raise prices so in five years those people's buying power probably won't be any better than it is now. Uh, you're going to be giving raises to teenagers who don't need it uh, to, and, and causing businesses to, to spend more money and, and raise prices. Um, I'm on the board of a company that is in competition, a manufacturing company, competition with India and China. Mm -hmm. And we have manufacturing plants here in Maryland and Mexico. When it goes to $15, we have to move all those jobs to Mexico, not because we're capitalist pigs, because we're going to go out of business if we don't. So all the people that are working now making $12, $13 an hour or $11, whatever they're making, and paying some taxes are going to be on unemployment. So we get a double whammy on it. So if you don't raise it to $15, you continue to have these people in pain and polarize our, our, our culture. If you do do it, you, you uh, screw up the whole, all of capitalism, basically, and chase jobs out and don't solve the problems. So that's an example. No matter what you do, it's the wrong decision. I'll give you another one. I don't know if you ever heard of Dinesh D'Souza. Yes, he's very good. I've seen him very on Fox. Very smart guy, yeah. Brilliant man, and he went to jail, I yes, think, Yes, he did over... for election fraud or something. I don't know what it was Yeah, for. but a very gifted very man, and he's had internationally famous films that right. he's produced. Yes, he has. Yes. Uh, yeah. A very smart guy. Well, he was at the University of Oregon. Actually, this is on the Internet. And he was a YouTube. college president, yeah. too. Mm -hmm. a very bright guy. And he was uh, doing a presentation to an auditorium full of students, and there was a gentleman, I think his name was Mike, who was the MC. And Dinesh tells this story. He says, I'm going to give you two scenarios of a story. Mike and I are on a beach and walking towards each other. 
and Mike is starving. And he comes up to me and says, Dinesh, I've fallen on very hard times. I'm starving. Could I have your sandwich? I had Dinesh had a sandwich in his hand. Uh, could I have half your sandwich? And Dinesh gave him his whole sandwich. Dinesh felt great about what he did. Mike felt wonderful things towards Dinesh. They'd give him the whole sandwich and everything, although he didn't solve the problem. He gave him a sandwich that will eat for a day. But he still, it was a very human event, a very good event. Mm -hmm. So that's scenario one. Dinesh says scenario two is Mike and I are walking towards each other. Mike's starving. I have my sandwich. Before we get to each other, a government agent rides up on his white horse, gets off the horse, puts a gun to my head and says, Dinesh, give Mike your sandwich. So I give my Mike the sandwich. The agent holsters his gun, gets on the horse and leaves. The same thing happened. I gave Mike my sandwich, Dinesh says. But I feel like I was robbed, and the guy doesn't have any good feelings towards me. So we've dehumanized and polarized the whole event. And that is an argument about government doing things. But then a young girl got up and said to Dinesh, what happens if you want to have given Mike your sandwich, which a lot of people wouldn't have? And Dinesh went on some, he, he didn't have an answer for it. So here's, this shows the, the problem I'm talking about. Either you completely dehumanize and polarize ourselves and don't solve the problem by having government do these things, or a millions of people fall through the cracks. No matter which decision you make, it's wrong. We don't have the right tools to solve these problems. So when we came to, this is 23, 24 uh, years of research. Uh, I went to Washington probably 30, 40 times, met with either mm -hmm. the principal or uh, the staff of most senators and House representatives. I actually talked to John Kasich at that time and um, uh, many others. Uh, and these ideas were, came up through a lot of people. I used to, I met with Heritage and Brookings and Cato and all these different organizations and came up with these. So what we came up with is that we need a fourth system. We need a system of what we call social remediation, a way people can help each other in democracies that works. And when we came to that decision, we said, well, what should that system look like? And I'll just go through it. We have four pillars uh, that we, we, we made for it. Number one, it's got to be fiscally responsible. If you, as an income producer, give a dollar to help another person, be it in education, be it in welfare, health care, whatever, most of that money should get to that person. Mm -hmm. We did a study, and there's been studies that really confirmed it, that only 30 cents out of every dollar that we pay in taxes actually gets to where it's supposed to be. Shameful. It costs 70 cents just to go through that process Terrible. because government's wasteful, and it's not their fault. It's just, it's just not the right entity, as I said before. Uh, so it's got to be fiscally responsible. Uh, number two, uh, well, it, actually, just saying on that for a second, if you look at most well-run charities, well-run charities, they are usually charged around 11 cents for administration and fundraising, so 89 cents of every dollar gets to the people. If we could just replicate that, we'd save a fortune, obviously. The second thing, it's got to be practical. And what we mean by that, it's got to be easily accessible by people in need and easily managed and audited and uh, transparent to us. But the other thing, it should only go to people in need and only when they're in need. Mm -hmm. I get Social Security. I get Medicare. I don't need it. My kids went to the University of Buffalo. One of my uh, kids went there. I could have paid full tuition. It is absolutely stupid for people who are waiters and waitresses and plumbers to pay taxes and pay their Social Security so I can get money. It should only go to people in need only when they're in need. If you're in need and all of a sudden you win the lottery the next year, you don't get the money next year. So we have to set up a system that, that is practical. The third thing is the most important. The system's got to be psychologically and philosophically compatible with who we are as Americans and who we are as human beings. And in the book, we ferret that down. There's got to be a joy in giving, and there's got to be a dignity in receiving. If you don't have that, you crush the human spirits on both parts, and you just polarize your, your, your society. And lastly, it's got to be culturally nurturing. It's got to be make us proud to be Americans. It's got to make the world look at us as good, caring people, which we are, rather than capitalist pigs, which people look at us like that. Um, so 
we devised a system, a new system of social remediation uh, around that, and that's what the last th uh, two or three chapters of the book's about. So we not only, we try to define why we have the problems to people so they see it from a different perspective and start blaming, stop blaming each other, that it's, not, it's a systemic problem, not a people problem. And by the way, it is the same dialectic in every democracy in history. The, uh, if you look, uh, the average um, life of, of a society is around 200 years, and every democracy in history has failed. Uh, and uh, so I, I see this happening to us, too. Well, Ronald Reagan used to say, if you want anything done wrong, you let the government do it. Absolutely. That's what, what Reagan always said. He also said, said the uh, best definition of immortality is a government <laughs> agency. And that's true. And, and it's a systemic problem, though. It doesn't matter whether you have Republicans in or you have Democrats in or liberals and conservatives. You're going to have the same problems. It's a systemic problem. Uh, and we're asked, it, it would be, uh, Brian, if you asked me to be, if you were in charge of the next Olympics and you asked me to be the next pole vaulter, well, I'd go work my butt off for the next three years, but if I got over three feet without killing myself, I'd be lucky. They, the people would be, Americans would be mad because we have these great athletes that are pole vaulters that could have won medals and everything. And I blame you for picking me. You blame me. I probably didn't work hard enough. You asked me to do something I intrinsically cannot do, and I mm -hmm. took on the responsibility and, uh, and we all failed. And that's what's happening with government. We've asked it to do things it intrinsically cannot do. And all you get is failure and polarization and hate. And, it's, and that, that, all those qualities are simmering right down into our culture and I, dividing us. I guess that's why they call it a nanny state. Right. Uh, we're listening and learning a great deal from Richard A. Kaplan. He's the author of The American Fix that should be available at the end of the year on Amazon. A little plug here, Western New Yorkers love their traditions, and the Ampol Eagle has been writing about Polish-American traditions and events for over 50 years. News and features from a Polish-American perspective can be found in this weekly newspaper, as well as recipes and a calendar of events. Don't miss out on the next cultural presentation or polka dance by reading the Ampol Eagle. The Ampol Eagle is available in many tops and Wegmans stores. For home delivery, call 716-835-9454. That's 716-835-9454 to have the latest news from Poland and Polonia in your mailbox each week. A little bit more information about Richard A. Kaplan. He is the author of The American Fix that will be out later this year. He is the founder and chairman of the board of The Common Group, which is a franchise initiator. Its first franchise being a retail photography chain called Clicks. He is chairman of the board of a business startup, Cerebral Assessment Systems. He has done private consulting and guest lecturing on marketing, economics, organizational development at universities, as well as business groups. And he also holds a black belt in karate, so I'll be very respectful on the Rusk Report today. Let's talk about our education system. You're from Rochester, New York with Brian Jackson, and we see uh, graduation rates in our inner cities of 52, 54 percent. What has happened to our educational system, Richard A. Kaplan? Well, uh, actually, I've been involved with education for about 30 years now. Uh, I, I've been on a lot of committees. I've been on the mayor of Rochester's uh, uh, committee for education, uh, and I've been very involved with charter schools. I'm with an organization, a nonprofit now, bringing charters into Rochester. It's the same problem, though. It's a, it's um, the same cause. We have government that is running the educational system. Charters are a good start to get away from that because government doesn't tell charter schools how to teach. They just say if your students are at a certain percentage or a certain level in five years, we close you. 
uh, in the district schools, because uh, charter schools are public, but in the district schools, they don't close. They just keep getting worse and worse. And uh, I could, uh, we could take this whole program talking about education. But the point I'm trying to make, it all stems from the same problem. You know, if, God forbid, you have cancer in your brain, cancer in your kidneys, cancer in your stomach, cancer in your prostate, cancer in your breast, or wh wherever you have any of all these cancers, and somebody comes and says, well, I can get rid of the skin cancer you have now, well, that's not really going to interest you because it is such a terrible thing. We have these cancers. We have, we have our educational system. We have, uh, have our, our um, uh, health care systems. All these systems are bad. But if I came to you and, you and I said, I could clear up all your cancers because mm -hmm. it's a systemic problem. I can, get, I, I can turn on your immune system. Then you'd want to talk to me. Well, that's what I'm saying about this. We can solve, the education problem is the same problem as our health care problem. And our health care system problem is the same problem as our welfare system, Social Security problem. They're all stemming from the same thing. And what we need is a system that, that changes that. And that's what we're talking about in the book. And the book covers philosophy. It covers psychology. It's got a lot of very interesting different perspectives in it. Uh, but it gets to, at the end, uh, or the last three chapters or so, the cure for it. And, um, you know, I could go much deeper into this with a lot more time. But uh, it, it, that, it's a very different perspective than I think anybody is talking about now. And it's not just my ideas. As I say, this was done with hundreds of people and, and uh, input from a lot of people. We kept going down the system, what do you think of this? And people would say, well, that won't work because of this. So we change it. And this is the way we tailored the system. If somebody listening to the Rusk Report and our 17 states that we reach on the East Coast or in much of Canada, and they'd like to contact you, what's the best way to reach you, by email or phone? or If somebody wants to email me about this, my email is dickk, which is D-I-C-K-K, -K, at Courageous. Uh, that's the company I'm with right now. But I do startups and turnarounds. That's why there's so many okay. <laughs> there. Um, but Courageous is spelled C-U-R-A-E-G-I-S dot Dot com. So uh, Dick K at Courageous.com. Uh, I'd like to read one thing out of the book. Yes, and please. This is a quote, not my quote. This is a quote from uh, Dr. Gordon Black, who was a political scientist, and he wrote the book, The Politics of American Discontent. And when I read this to people before I talk about these things, they don't understand it as well as they do now. So I'd like your listeners to maybe they'll understand this in the context of what I just explained. He says, we are ruled by a tyranny more dangerous than a dictatorship. It's a tyranny of the velvet glove. A tyranny that spends a fortune each year to persuade us its intent is benign, all the time stealing our future and our children's future in the process. We, all of us, have permitted ourselves to be lulled into complacency while our own office holders accomplish what communism and fascism failed to achieve. What our ancestors fought and died for, this generation of Americans has given away of its own volition without outrage and without revolt. And what he's talking about is mm -hmm. we've given away our responsibility to help each other and love each other and care for each other to our own office holders. And they have taken that on because the more responsibility they get, the more important they become. Uh, our office holders now are the royalty of our society. They have their own parking lots at the airport. They travel around the world uh, talking to people. They're sought after by wealthy, powerful people for their opinions and their power. Uh, it's And it, it used to be a service to your country. Now it's the best job in the world. They I'm, make I'm sorry we have to bring the Rusk Report to a close. We've learned a great deal from the author of The American Fix, which will be out later this year on Amazon. Our guest is Richard A. Kaplan. The book is The American Fix. Be a great uh, Christmas or Hanukkah president uh, later this year. Special thanks to Kevin Carr, director of uh, production, and to Ron Papa for recommending this program. Thank you for enlightening us, Richard A. Kaplan. Have a great week. Thank you, Brian. Baseball is back. 
and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.